0: Good morning BBC. It's great to uh, be with you this morning and I hope that you've got your bible with you or some sort of device where you can open up to that passage that was read to us 2 Samuel chapter 7 but just before we go into it I want to uh, read a link passage that we will refer to in the uh, in the new testament and uh, it's up on the screen let me read it for you and then I'll pray. Luke 1:31 the angel comes and says you will receive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. I'm supposed to use the clicker. All right, let's uh All right, there we go. Let's start again. Luke one. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Let's pray. Father, it's in our it's in our weakness that you show your strength and your power and your grace in us. And I need that this morning, perhaps a little more than most. I pray in my weakness you will speak. I pray in our weakness you'll help us to hear and to understand. And that this morning we'll be so thrilled about your Son and the kingdom that is coming. And that you'll lift our hearts and lift our eyes off the temporary to the time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. All right, uh, some of you might have been a little bit, I don't know, nervous about that title um, this week, uh, God God in, a, God in a Swag, and I, I, I hope that it'll, it'll make sense as we, as we go through. Uh, God in a Swag, 1, be should, should be 2 Samuel, chapter 7, 1 to 22. Here's a quote, here's a quote from the Jewish scholar Mosh Goshen Gotstein, And here's what he says. He says, Jews read the Old Testament about being about God, people, and land. There is no grand narrative in the Hebrew Bible, certainly not one that would culminate in the coming of Jesus, but more a collection of individual stories, sayings, and teachings that together constitute a tissue of instructions on how to live a good life as a Jew. That's from a Jewish scholar. The theologian John Barton says this. He says the Old Testament is a story, the Old Testament story is about a disaster and a planned rescue mission. Paradise lost and paradise regained. It tells of the loss of innocence in the Garden of Eden, a consequent history of human disobedience through the stories related in the narrative books, and a promise of coming redemption and salvation in the books of the prophets, leading naturally into the New Testament where we learn about God's planned rescue of the human race, came to effect in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a question right at the start here. How do you read the Bible? How do you read the Bible? Do you read the Bible through the lens of a Jew? Or do you read the Bible through the lens of God's planned rescue? Of the human race. I want to say to you this morning. That the way in which we understand. The promises of God to David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7. The way you understand. The grand narrative. Of what God is doing. It is going to shape your entire life. And will shape your entire destiny. As well. Let's head straight into our passage. Our first heading. A gentle reminder. Even rebuke. From God. Two Samuel chapter seven, verse one. After the king was settled in his place, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a place of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent or a swag. King David has got in his mind this desire to build God a temple. David is sleeping in a royal bed. And in comparison, it seems like God is sleeping in a swag in the garden. The contrast is a little bit like this. You're walking around Sydney. You're on holiday in Sydney. You're walking around Sydney train station, and you see everybody sleeping in cardboard boxes around the station. But you know that you're going home Or You're either going home or you're going into a hotel where you have a warm bed. That's a little bit like what David's feeling. And it just doesn't seem right, does it? And Nathan is on the same page. Nathan agrees with him and look what he says. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, in other words, what you're thinking about this temple and God in this way, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it because the Lord is with you. But there comes a gentle reminder, or we might say even a gentle rebuke in verses 4 to 7. Do you see them? But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt. To this day, I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any one of the rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar?" You see, there is no instruction in the Old Testament anywhere where God says that someone's got to build a house for him or someone's got to build a temple for him. In fact, if I can use the vernacular, God says to David, being in a tent's been okay. If you like, being in a swag has been okay. In fact, I've been in a tent swag ever since the day we came out of Egypt. And I've never asked you and I've never asked anyone for a temple. I want you to see two things here right at the start. The first one is the danger of presumption. I want you to realize that even godly prophets get it wrong when they're a bit presumptuous. Even godly prophets get it wrong when they are not consulting the Lord. And just because David has had some sort of success in his military campaigns doesn't mean that God's going to give him success in everything that he wants to do. Because of what David has achieved, there's not a guarantee of success of what he wants to achieve. And I think we can put it like this. David and Nathan are getting a little bit emotionally presumptuous. And we have to be very careful with this. We must be very careful not to think that what's in our hearts to do for the Lord is either right or is going to come to fruition or success. We must be very careful to be presumptuous of what we think we will do for the Lord just because He's given us success in something else. Walking humbly with our God, as the prophet Micah says, requires a humble posturing, humbling of ourselves before the Lord to listen carefully to His voice in His Word and always to be seeking wise counsel from others. I'll give you a down-to-earth uh, sort of illustration. I, I often go, well, I always go to all the elders' meetings and the board meetings and that sort of thing. And I, always, I often go to board meetings, elders' meetings, full of things that I want to do for the Lord. I've got plans here and plans there, want to do this, want to do that, everything else. But after we've met, after we've dis- discussed, consulted, as board, as elders, even both, sometimes, most times, most often it becomes clear that what's in my heart for the Lord is not exactly the way it's going to go. And after a vote of elders or board or both, often my truly inspired motions are voted out by a majority. Very, very often, Christians, you'll hear this language of going, Well, the Lord told me this. The Lord told me that. The Lord said I must go here. The Lord said I must go there. The Lord said I must take this job. The Lord said I must marry this person, whatever, whatever, and so on. What they're really saying is, This is what I think. The Lord is saying, or this is what I want to do. This is what I think the Lord wants me to do. I, I think he wants me to go there, and I think he wants me to do this. And, and, and really, it's, it's, it's very easy to get all very ahead of yourself. We've got to be careful to be presumptuous before the Lord. But the second thing that God is gently reminding David about in terms of even a gentle rebuke, is that he is reminding David that God is near. That's why he's in a tent. So have a look verse, halfway through verse 6 and verse 7 again. He says to David, David, I, I've been moving from place to place. I guess, well, you can't do that in a temple, I guess. I've been moving from place to place where that tent is my dwelling wherever I have moved with all the Israelites. I'm sure that you've noticed that the kings and the queens and the PMs and the presidents of this world, what sort of places do they live in? They sort of live in big places, don't they? And, and, and mansions and castles and palaces. Do you know where the home of the PM is of Australia? You know what it's called? Canberra. It's Canberra Lodge. Anybody been there? Is it nice? Well, I mean, it's quite a schmancy pansy place, that one, isn't it? Uh, it's Buckingham Palace for uh, the king and the queen consort, and and so. But here's the thing: You're right, there's no access there. You can't just go waltzing in there whenever you want to. In fact, we have no access to the rulers of this world, and the rulers of this world do not actually live with us. David locked away in a spectacular palace was no different. But God in a tent means that God is always with his people. He's always on the move. And he's reminding David that God is no distant God. He's no hidden God. He's no protected around the walls sort of God. He, he lives with his people. In fact, he's so, so close. He's so, so near. And you ask, how close? How close? John 1.14, and the Word became flesh, and the Greek word for dwelt is the word tabernacled. The Word became flesh and tabernacled and tented, or swagged if you like. Come oh on, that's what Christmas is about, isn't it? It's about God coming so so near. The eternal Son taking on flesh. But how close? John 16 verse 7. But truly I tell you, Jesus says, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Talking of the Spirit. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. You realize this morning that if you've put your faith in Jesus, God has come so, so, so close, so, so near. He lives in you by His Spirit. There's a gentle reminder, rebuke from God, but it moves into an abundant provision from God. If you've got that script open, you will notice that David's desire to build this temple is not dismissed outright, but it's not going to be him who builds the temple. And by not allowing David to build the temple, God is gently reminding David It's not David who provides for God. It's God who provides for David. It's not that God needs David. It's David needs God. Have a look at the script. Look at verse 8. He says to David, 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 I, I took you from the pasture. I took you from tending the flock and I have made you ruler over my people. He reminds David in verse 9, I have been with you wherever you've gone. I have cut off all your enemies before you. And I'm going to make your name great, like one of the greatest names on the face of the earth. Verse 10, and I will provide a place for my people and I will plant them. In verse 11 again, he says, I will give you rest from all your enemies. David, it's not about what you can do for me. It's always been about what I have done for you and will do for you. This desire of David in and of itself is not a bad desire, but it does alert us to the dangers and the temptation of religiosity. You know what religiosity is, don't you? Religiosity is stuff that you do for God. It's the stuff that you do to appease Him. It's the stuff that you do to win His favor. It's the stuff you do because you think if you do it, you're going to get something back. Religiosity is what you do in order to gain the favor and the merit of God. But God is not served by human hands. God does not need anything from David, and He doesn't need anything from you, from us. In fact, here is what God is saying to David and us through the eyes of the New Testament in Acts 17, 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath, and everything else. Do you realize that God does not need anything from us? He's not dependent upon us for anything. We do not add anything to God. Because if you've got the text, look down at verse 18, where David addresses God as as sovereign Lord. In in the Hebrew, it's it's Adonai Yahweh. Adonai Yahweh. God is in himself self-sufficient. God in himself is all-encompassing, he's he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's all-present. God is not a needy God. He's not dependent upon anyone or anything except himself. God is well able to care for himself. But we, on the other hand, are what? We are so dependent. We are so insufficient within ourselves. We need to, God to work for us. We need God to serve us. We need God to build a house for us. We're needing God to come close to us. One of the ways in which I saw this so, so vividly, and especially this, this thing of religiosity, I was in uh, uh, Bali for a little break. You can ask me about that. Eh, nah, Bali, blah. Anyway, in Bali, but, but when you go around Bali, every single house, every single shop, every single little nook and corner, You you, you get these little woven baskets that are made up every single day. And in them, they've got a bit of flour, flowers, real flowers, and and a little bit of food. And then they put some incense on it. And every single day, they change these things. and, and, And what are they doing? They're feeding the gods. They're trying to carry favor with the gods. And as my taxi driver told me that if we feed the gods and look after the gods, they will bless us. They will give us favor. They will send us luck. And he thought he was very lucky because he had an Australian in his taxi. You see, what, 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 what God is reminding David of is this. David gets the status. David gets the wealth. David gets the victory. David gets the glory without Payment. God reminds David that once he was a wee shepherd little boy, God took him from the sheep and made him ruler over God's people. I wonder if you understand this morning that everything you have and everything that you are as a Christian is a gift of God's grace. It is a gift of God's goodness. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For it is by grace that you have been saved. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Now, most of you here would understand what I say when I say, you know what it's like in human dealings, human negotiations, Human business contracts, if I may use the vernacular. When you go into the business world and you're negotiating, it goes something like this. The question is, asked, what are you bringing to the table? That's the way it works, isn't it? If someone invites you for dinner, what's the first thing you say? What can I? What can I bring? What can I bring to the table? you see, it's good, it's, quote, whatever they call that thing. David says to God, here's what I'm bringing to the table. (laughs) I'm bringing a temple to the table. And God says, you don't bring anything to my table, mate. I serve you. I provide for you. You remember the story of Abraham sacrificing or told to sacrifice his son Isaac? You remember that? God says to Abraham, "Take your son, go up to Mount Moriah and go sacrifice him." And you know the story in Genesis chapter 22, and after all that happens, God provides a what? He provides a a ram in the thicket in place of Isaac. And then in Genesis 22:14 it says this: So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, "On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided." And in the Hebrew, that Lord will provide is Jehovah-Jireh or Yahweh-Jireh, depending which way you want to go. The Lord will provide. Everything you are has been provided for you. Everything you have has been provided for you. Everything you enjoy is a gift of grace provided for you. Your abilities, your talents, every breath you take, and God makes this promise that I will provide everything that you, you need. You know that your Heavenly Father will give it to you. Why? Because He knows what you need before you, before you even ask. You seek the kingdom, and these things will be provided. James puts it like this. James 1, 17 and 18, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all He created. You realize that? That your new birth in Christ is a is a gift of grace from your heavenly Father. And He will provide absolutely everything you need as He takes you on the journey home. But there's more. There's this gentle reminder or rebuke from God, and there's then this abundant provision that God reminds David about. And then number three, there are also these forever promises from God. The verses will come up on the screen. Now listen for the promises, okay? Verse 11. The Lord declares to you, David, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. See the promise? Verse 12. When your days are over and you've rested with your answers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish His kingdom. Verse 13, He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. And then verse 16, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. David wants to put something of a temporary physical table, a a temporary physical temple on the table. And God says to him, I'm about to make you some promises, things that will stand forever. And if you could take all these promises and sort of grab them together and sum them up, there'd be something like this. David, you brought a physical house to the table. God says, I will build a forever house for you. David, you want to build a temple that will not stand forever. I will build you a a kingdom that will stand forever. It was about two months ago now. uh, I'm on a roster where where from time to time we go and pray for the, uh, the Busselton Shire counselors. 5.30 5.30 on a Wednesday, they have their session every week. And the pastors are actually asked to come in and pray for them and, so that they can do, do their thing well. And so I went and, and I prayed for them. And I stayed a little while just to, to, to sort of get the feel of, of, of things. And there was this, this couple that were making this petition to the counselors. They've been wanting to build their house in Eagle Bay, no doubt a beautiful big house in Eagle Bay, but, but they've been knocked back by the counselors for ever and a day about this, that, and everything else. They sat there in front of these counselors, and this is what they said, and it really came from the heart from the lady. She said, she said we've, we've, we've met all your requirements, and we will meet any requirements that you still have. And here came the plea. But please let us build our forever home. Please let us build our forever home. But there is no forever home in this world, is there? There's no human life, no human home, no human Business, no human building, no human relationship, no human throne that will be forever. They come and they and they go. David will come and he will go. His son Solomon will come and Solomon will go. Every king from the line of David, because of his sin, will come and go. There is no forever human king. There is no forever human home. There is no forever human kingdom. But God promises David a a forever king, a forever kingdom, and a forever home. You remember what John Barton said in the beginning? He said that Christians think that the Old Testament tells a story which goes on to find its completion in the New Testament. Where we learn how God's planned rescue of the human race came into effect through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so as we step from 2 Samuel 7, we land again in Luke 1, 31. And I'm going to put them up against each other in just a moment. So listen to them again. You will conceive Mary and you'll give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He'll be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the what? the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And his kingdom will know no end. hope you can see that. If you put 2 Samuel 7 next to Luke 1.31, becomes clear, doesn't it? So 2 Samuel 7 verse 12, When your days are over, David, and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. And what does the angel say to Mary? You will, give, you will conceive and give birth to a, to a son. Down into verse 14, I will be his father and he will be my son. Verse 32, he will be great and be called son of the most high. Down to verse 16, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me, and your throne will be established forever. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. You see it? The forever king and the forever kingdom promised to David would be fulfilled in the child. That is tabernacling in Mary's womb. I love this quote by the church father, Tertullian. And Tertullian, by the way, is the guy that actually termed the coin the Trinity. Here's what he said. quote He said, if you tell me 2 Samuel 7 is just about Solomon, you will send me into a fit of laughter. Because Christ, rather than any, was to build the temple of God. That is to say, a holy manhood wherein God's Spirit might dwell as in a better temple. Christ, rather than David's son Solomon, was to be looked for as the Son of God. End quote. Look at that verse again. He will be great, will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. But you realize something? That before David stepped onto the throne of David, before he stepped onto the throne of David in heaven forever, he ascended, or he ascended to the throne of suffering on a cross. Remember the words of Jesus? Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter His His glory? You see, it was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until about three in the afternoon for the sun had stopped shining and the, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, Father, to Your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. After his suffering, Jesus was raised from the dead, ascending to the right hand of the Father, taking the throne of David, before whom one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of heaven. So how do we respond? After seeing this gentle reminder, rebuke, after seeing this abundant provision that God makes, after seeing these wonderful forever promises that God makes to David, how do you and I respond? Did you notice how David then responded? Did you see it? Read with me. Verse 17, Nathan reported, to David all the words of this entire revelation and here comes David's response. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said who am I? Who am I, Sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And if as, and, and as if this were not enough in your sight, Sovereign Lord, you've spoken about the future of the house of your servant and, and this decree, Sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord. David is now in such a, he's in such a good place, isn't he? You might say he went into the tent, or I don't know, went into the swag, and he sits before the Lord, humble, awestruck, prayerful, grateful, that Jehovah Jireh has provided salvation for him. And Jehovah Jireh has provided a home for him. David never forgot this. Because look what he wrote in Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? David, now he understands. Yes. Oh, it's, 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 it's his greatest son. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who will come one day and in His sinless life and in His substitutionary death and His rising from the dead and His ascending back to the throne of David in heaven that Jesus would provide a home for Him. Jesus would provide a dwelling place for Him. And it's exactly what Jesus says to you and I today. Listen to it. Listen to it in John 14. Brothers and sisters, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, well, then also believe in me. My Father's house has many rooms and if it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place that I'm going. Just about every single year, and I actually think it was playing on the foreshore last night a little bit, every single Christmas year, Mariah's Carey song, All I Want for Christmas you know how it goes? All I want is? You know, it goes to number one every single year. She's made like a trillion bucks every Christmas. Now, heaven forbid I try and sing it for you, but <laughs> heaven forbid. But Look at the words. Here's just a little snippet of it. She says, uh, I, I, I don't want a lot for Christmas. It's just one thing I need. I don't care about presents under the Christmas tree. I just want you for my own. More than you could ever know. May my wish come true. All I want for Christmas is you. She, she's not singing about Jesus, is she? But she should be. Because you know what was promised at Christmas? The forever king from 2 Samuel chapter 7. Do you know what came to fruition at Christmas? The king of the kingdom. The forever king and the forever kingdom from 2 Samuel 7. It's Christmas. Jesus is the forever temple of God promised in 2 Samuel 7. He was destroyed and broken at the cross for our sin, rebuilt, raised to life at the resurrection, and ascended to the Father's right hand to take the throne of David. And by trusting in Jesus, you know what? By trusting in Jesus now, he makes his home in you. He makes his home in you now by his Spirit. And then one day he'll take you home to be with him. I don't know how you do Christmas presents in your house. It's always dangerous when you have three growing boys. Because you don't want to buy them the wrong thing, hey? Like you open it up, eh, I don't want that, and send it back. Um, So we've learned the hard way. You sort of... you you, what, what, What would you like for Christmas? And we sort of give them one, two, three, and... Usually buy them something else. Um, you, know how, you know how that's how it works. Let me give it to you in Psalm 27 through David. Who went and sat before the Lord humbly and gratefully grateful and prayerful and reverently before the Lord. Psalm 274, one thing I ask from the Lord. This one thing do I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. Now David got it just right. Not not God, what can I do for you? what God would do for him. And I want you to understand this morning that all the forever promises of God are yours in Christ Jesus. They're all yours in Christ Jesus. All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is ask. Are they yours? Is Jesus your forever king? Do you live in his forever kingdom? Has he prepared a forever home for you? It's all yours. But you've got to ask. Any wonder that David says this in verse 22. How great are you I deny Yahweh. There is no one like you. There's no God but you. As we have heard with our own ears. Just take a moment to reflect as I ask the team to come up. and lead us.